Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Before we get into the news, just a public service announcement. This podcast is sponsored by absolutely nobody. This is just here for us, for, for those of us who are providing that care. And obviously I'm doing this because um, I think it's a great thing to do for the community. And I'm responding to someone's question, by the way, if you're wondering why the little public service announcement, someone had asked what the, uh, what the sponsorship was and it is nothing and it's going to remain that way. So thanks for listening. And now let's, let's get to the news. Today, covering the news to know for the week of September 9th, we've got six stories on tap, and let's get to it. So the first one, the American Medical Association launches Practice Transformation Initiative to Combat Physician Burnout. This is written by Bill Sawicki and Healthcare IT News on September 5th. The mission of the project is to fill the knowledge gaps regarding effective interventions to reduce burnout and dissatisfaction. Just give you three lines from the article here. This approach will create multiple venues for field testing and studying results, generating evidence-based research and accelerating the spread of innovations that support clinician satisfaction, said AMA officials. Beyond building an evidence base for more effective burnout remedies, the Practice Transformation Initiative will also focus on convening experts from across the industry to build consensus and best practice for improving clinician satisfaction, according to the AMA. And the last one is a quote from the AMA board chair. While AMA efforts to date have increased awareness of the physician burnout crisis at all levels and driven positive change, there is an immediate need for transformational solutions. So why is this important? Well, I believe it's great that the American Medical Association has stepped into this space. Uh, yes, great, and about time, and they are late to the party. I'm not entirely convinced that practice transformation is the way to solve provider burnout. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that means when they're saying practice transformation. Does it get into payment reform? Does it get into that our patients can't afford their medications? And that puts a lot of stress on providers. Does it get into legal reform? Does it get into the prior authorization process reform? What are they going after here? Those are the things that I believe really put a lot of pressure on providers, eat up a lot of our time and doesn't allow us to do the things that we really love. So uh, good that the AMA is stepping in. I hope that they step in the right direction. Next, this one you may have heard uh, that Cerner is laying off more than 250 workers as part of a wider cost cutting effort. And this article I actually got from the Kansas City Star, which is the uh, where the headquarters of Cerner's at, written by Kevin Hardy on September 4th. And they have about 14,000 employees in the U.S., and Cerner is Kansas City's area's largest private employer. This week's layoffs come at a time of major change for the 40-year company. Cerner initially pioneered the work of digitizing the nation's paper health records, but that domestic market has largely 
completed the move away from paper records and Cerner and its competitors have saturated the market. That has pushed Cerner to look for ways to diversify its business model and executives are participating with third-party consultants in an exhaustive review of all current operations. CEO Mark Naughton said the company was working on 165 initiatives to optimize costs and simplify the business. He said the company is looking to cut more than 200 million expenses. He said those cuts need to be in sustainable savings. Cerner has already hired several thousand workers this year with plans to hire hundreds more before the end of the year. So why do I think this story is important? Well, I did also want to include one more quote that I took from a, a different article on the same topic. This article said that as part of the cooperation agreement with investors, Cerner is focused on improving its adjusted operating margin with targets of 20% for the fourth quarter of 2019 and 22.5% for the fourth quarter of 2020. So uh, number one, the EMR vendors are starting to search for new fertile ground. There isn't going to be a lot of new business potential in the United States. And they, I believe, would have a very difficult time squeezing more money out of their existing hospital systems. Uh, I think that will be met with significant pushback and resistance and maybe uh, some regulatory um, interest. So they're going to go overseas. And that has a different billing and a different regulatory environment. So I believe that the research and development departments are going to start to focus to meet these new needs. And that means there's going to be less need for them to innovate in this market, which they've already captured. They're going to shift their attention. And so we need to watch for that. As CMIOs, we would feel that if we see the pace of innovation slowing down from the EMR vendors. And uh, number two is, well, what do you think of those margins, 20 to 22 and a half percent? To put it in perspective, many of us work for nonprofits where two to three percent margins are the norm. So you're going to see the EMR vendors reinvesting their profits into areas that may not benefit our communities. We are supporting those margins by the payments we make to the EMR vendors. It would be great if they invested those profits back into making the product better that serves are people who are, of course, the ones who in need of a great EMR product. Something to watch. Next article. This one's in healthcare finance, how artificial intelligence can allow providers to get a better handle on social determinants of health. It's by Jeff Legassi. And the article goes on to talk about how we'll use artificial intelligence in a variety of ways of working with social determinants of health. Uh, the first is identification, which really need to understand what are the social determinants of health that, that matter. But this is the bigger one, which is integration. The article says that a big chunk of the industry is still trying to figure out how to best utilize social determinants, and many organizations are developing libraries of responses to those factors. The next part is using AI to help scale those interventions. Article goes on to say it's scalability that's crucial and made possible by AI. By ingesting materials ranging from electronic health records to scanned images, AI can use machine learning to train the model to hone in on key social determinants relevant to a given patient. The personal touch will always be needed, but AI's ability to tease patterns out of large data sets allows social determinants of health integration to become more widespread, more relevant, and more actionable. 
The final uh, quote here, quote, it's the wild, wild west in terms of what those social determinants are. So it loses its analytical, analytical value. What does it mean to have an absence of family and social supports? We'll have to create some standards. So interesting uh, about this use of AI and social determinants of health. I've got Dr. Eric Topol coming on the show later this week, and you'll hear his thoughts on artificial intelligence. He's been published many times on this uh, leading author and uh, also the editor for Medscape. And he goes to say how valuable AI is, particularly with pattern recognition in images for dermatology, radiology, pathology. But this use case of using AI for social determinants of health, he insinuates that that's really pretty far off. We're not there yet. And I think this article sort of gets at that, that this is the Wild West. We don't have the, the standards. And I am not convinced that we know what to do with social determinants of health by and large in our healthcare systems. When we find patients that have transportation issues, we'll give them a bus voucher, perhaps we'll get them an Uber once or twice, but that really isn't solving the social determinant of health issue. So more to come on this. It's interesting to watch what AI does. I am not convinced that this is the best use case for AI right now, but something to at least keep on your radar. Next article is interesting. Um, with a new piece of technology it comes out of healthcare IT news and its provider and patient satisfaction soar at Goshen Health with secure text messaging. And I bring this one up because I'm in the middle of a secure text messaging uh, operation right now. And it, it is challenging to, to get this in place. Hopefully you've had, had great success with this at your organizations. So a quote or two from the article. This new technology allows for secure messaging with external users through timed linked access. This capability has expanded the use to selected patients and caregivers by care team members. This is what was used in a capstone paper, which they talk about in the article. The external user option has been used to obtain information such as EKGs, x-rays, and labs from outlying emergency departments that are wanting to transfer patients into Goshen Health. And that's a use case that I am not familiar with. I've always envisioned secure texting being used between providers, nurse to provider, provider to provider. This is patient to provider or emergency department to a transferring hospital. And that sounds like a really exciting use case for, for this tool. The article goes on to say, to date, there's been no integration with the alarm and alert management systems, although that is planned for some time in the future, along with nurse call integration. And I know that's something that we are working on as well. And I could see a lot of noise. And I could see a lot of value in this. So why is this important to know about this article? Number one, secure text messaging really is the future. We do a huge amount of SMS text messaging still. Uh, if you aren't aware if your providers are doing it, let me assure you they are. And you can do some quick auditing and probably find that out. But this is, this is a problem. Uh, number two, if you still have providers that are refusing to get smartphones, this, this may be the issue that pushes them over the edge because in order for the nurse to reach them, they're going to have to have a smartphone. Eventually, I believe our hospital policies will just come out and say, 
you got to have a smartphone to practice in our health systems. It's coming. It's just a matter of time. And I think it's going to be really interesting as we start getting alerts. Hey, your patient seems to have sepsis. And is that going to be a lot of noise or is it going to be accurate? And you're going to get alerts that you didn't sign the admission order and you're going to get alerts that um, the potassium level came back at 5.6. And we'll have to CMIOs to deal with that and adjust these thresholds and decide what, what is worth alerting via secure text message versus you'll just pick it up on rounds uh, in the morning. So things to think about. Secure text messaging is definitely developing, coming out. More vendors are doing this. Uh, if you are not already working with a vendor that does this in your system, definitely look to, to be moving towards this within the next year or so, because I think it will become the standard. Next article comes out of Business Insider. Walmart is launching its first standalone primary care clinic. This is dubbed Walmart Health. It'll be piloted in Dallas, Georgia and housed in a building next to Walmart's retail store. Patients will be able to receive a variety of primary care services at this clinic, including immunization, lab tests, dental care, optometry, audiology, and behavioral health issues. This is not Walmart's first venture into the primary care space. I saw them enter into the urgent care venue that was called Care Clinics and never expanded beyond a handful of locations. And we think about why, it's because people, these were clinics inside Walmart, staffed by a nurse practitioner, and I guess patients just didn't see Walmart as being their healthcare provider of choice. They have a lot of employees. I believe some of their employees may use this, particularly if Walmart steers them to do so through a variety of incentives. But I'm just not sure who's staffing these. They seem to be getting into the mental health care space in these clinics I've read, and yeah, and behavioral health services. How are they doing that? How are they going to staff that? We have an incredibly difficult time trying to staff that in our health systems. Perhaps Walmart can, can pay more. They certainly have the financial capacity to do so, but they're not known for paying their employees significant amounts of money. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. I used to, uh, when I was part of a strategy committee, we would look at Walmart and be very nervous and say, oh my goodness, they're going to eat our lunch. They have all this money. And if they move into healthcare, we're in big trouble. And I don't think so anymore. I'm just not convinced that Walmart is coming to take away primary care from our health systems. Good luck finding the primary care providers and staffing these things. And good luck in delivering the services and moving away really sick patients away from name brand healthcare institutions. Because I'm just not sure people are going to go to the Walmart brand when they've got severe rheumatoid arthritis and they need primary care services. That's just not where I'm seeing the market going. Next one, I'm going to combine two articles. This will be our, our final article. The, name, the uh, title of the article, Doctors are more likely to prescribe opioids later in the day or if their appointments run late. And this is written on August 30th, 2019, and it comes from statnews.com. Jacqueline Corley wrote this. And it's summarizing an article that was published in JAMA, Open, uh, JAMA Network Open last week. 
here's just one of the quotes. When working with patients in pain who want opioids, offering them alternative therapies such as NSAIDs or physical therapy can require time-consuming discussions. Prescribing opioids may be the quick fix when they do not have enough time to discuss the non-opioid options. And I went on to look to see, well, what else do we do at the end of the day or when we're running late? And there is another article. It's back from May, of, uh, May 21st, 2019, and it says that doctors are less likely to order cancer screening tests in the afternoon. And it went on to show, this is again another JAMA Network open article, that your chances of having your primary care physician recommend that you undergo cancer screening may depend upon the time of your appointment. The study found that doctors ordered screening tests for 64% of the eligible patients they saw at 8 a.m., and that percentage fell as the morning progressed to 49% by 11 a.m. The decline in the ordering of screening tests observed in the study may have been the results of doctors running behind in their appointments, thus being more rushed during their interactions with patients later in the day. So I found that really, really interesting. It kind of rings true. I'm a primary care provider myself. I know when I used to run behind, you're looking to cover the most important issues and you're trying to get out the door and you'll say to yourself, we'll cover that mammogram later. We'll pick it up next time. I'll have my nurse call them and we may very well skimp on that visit. I could definitely see that opioid prescriptions when you're running behind, it is certainly easier to write the prescription than to try to get someone off of opioids or dissuade them and telling them that there's other options. So I'm sure you're seeing this in your systems as well. If you have that capability to do that analytics, fantastic. I know most of our systems do record the time of the prescription. You may be able to tease that out in an interesting study. I wonder what else that we do. Do we order more MRIs towards the end of the day or CT scans? Is it easier to just tell the patient, yeah, sure, you can have your MRI of your back, even though it's really not going to change what we're going to do for you, but why not? It's just going to take me too much effort, energy, and time to try to convince you that you really need physical therapy. So interesting what happens towards the end of the day as we, as we get fatigued or as we get battered by by so many other things and maybe clinical decision support can assist with this and and help tee up some of these things maybe artificial intelligence can say hey it's a man over the age of 50 that is sitting in front of you they need a colonoscopy do we really need that much provider intervention in that case you can do some of this maybe by protocol and just and just get this done without as much effort or thinking on the provider's part. Save your cognitive load for other things and let some of these easier things like vaccinations and uh, routine cancer screening just get done in the background. And so I think we'll wrap it up there. That's, that's plenty of good stories for today. Look forward to uh, bringing you Dr. Eric Topol later in the week. Be a real interesting exchange between the two of us. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. Go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. 
send me your ideas for shows, guests you would like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.